As we pick up uh, again our series in John this morning, I'm going to be reading uh, verses 18 through the beginning of chapter 16, actually through verse uh, 4a, the first half of verse 4 is where kind of the passage divides itself this morning. Uh, And before I read, I want to make a couple of comments because this is a text in which Jesus addresses the subject of persecution. Uh, And I think that before we read and listen to this text and talk about it, there are a couple of important points to remember. So let me just make three by way of introduction, and then I'll read, and then I'll have another introduction, and then maybe we'll have time for the sermon afterwards. Uh, So first, uh, it'd be good for us to remember, Christians are not the only people uh, who are persecuted. And so last week we talked about mercy as stopping and paying attention and helping. Uh, And if you are stopping and paying attention, then you know there is a lot of persecution in the world uh, right now. So uh, the Uyghur people in China, uh, the Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar, the global rise of uh, anti-Semitism, mercy wants to move toward all people who are suffering uh, and not only those in our own tribe. So I think that's one thing we could keep in mind. Uh, Second, uh, Christians in other places are persecuted in a way that we are not. Uh, And Christians in the Middle East in particular face systemic persecution that Western Christians who enjoy the benefits of pluralism and democracy don't. And so uh, those people don't face social or cultural irritations. Uh, They face suffering and imprisonment and death. And so when we hear a passage like we are about to hear, one of the things that it does is it calls us to stand with people who have to stand for Christ in ways that we do not. Uh, And this brings me to the third point, and that is that there's always a danger that the Bible's persecution passages give us a persecution complex. Uh, An exaggerated sense that everything that makes being a Christian hard or challenging or unpleasant is persecution. Uh, And in certain quarters now, everything from losing cultural cachet to having to wear a mask during a pandemic is now being called persecution. Uh, And that not only makes it harder to discuss real anti-Christian persecution in the world today. It's kind of what Walker Percy calls word pollution. You know, you pollute the word so much it just doesn't mean anything anymore. Uh, I think it's also offensive, insulting uh, to people who face real persecution for their faith when we call things that are not persecution, persecution. Uh, So the passage is not here to give us a persecution complex. It's here to give us what we could call persecution confidence, uh, that our God is sovereign, that he works through hard things, and so we should always be prepared and ready and vigilant for that. Uh, And so let's hear this passage from God's Word this morning. John 15, verse 18, through the beginning of chapter 16. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Uh, So I'd like to just start by giving you the bird's eye view of chapter 15, because this is all one discourse that Jesus is giving to his disciples uh, in the upper room on the night before his death. Uh, And in chapter 15, we really have three sections, uh, verses 1 to 11, where Jesus talks about our relationship to him, and he uses that metaphor of the branches and the vine, uh, that we are connected to Jesus the vine so that his life flows through us, uh, and we have a living connection to him where we abide in him and depend upon him. And the result of that connection is that we bear fruit. And then in verses 12 to 17, Jesus talks about our relationship to one another and that as branches, we are linked to one another because we all abide in the same vine. So the life of Jesus that flows through me is the life of Jesus that flows through you. And the fruit that we bear, Jesus says, is that we love one another. We reflect Jesus' love to other people in the church family. The way you treat other Christians is a test of whether you are abiding in the vine. Uh, And now, in verses 18 and following, Jesus talks not about our relationship to him or our relationship to one another, but our relationship to the world. And the love that we show one another is supposed to overflow uh, into the world uh, and draw them into the vine. And yet Jesus says the world is going to reject that love and instead there's going to be hate and even persecution, and we'll talk about why that is in a minute. But I think it's important for us to keep a bird's-eye view of this whole chapter for two reasons. One is because John 15 is showing us two sides of life in Jesus. 
So one side of life in Jesus is being connected to the vine, receiving nourishment, bearing fruit. And verses 1 through 11 give us this amazing picture of abiding in the vine and Jesus putting his joy in us and making our joy complete. And you think to yourself, well, who wouldn't want that? But there's another side to life in Jesus, and that's what we get in verses 18 and following. You can hear it in verses 18, 19, and 20 with the repetition of the words hatred and persecution, that life in the vine provokes opposition, a kind of hostile reaction, uh, and we can never forget that abiding with Jesus is abiding with the crucified Jesus. The Jesus who said, if you would be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. So that both bursting with fruit and bearing the cross are part of life in Jesus. That's one thing the whole chapter shows us. There's another reason we need to keep the bird's eye view of this passage in mind. Because it sets the proper context to talk about persecution. Uh, Remember, uh, if you are abiding in Christ, verses 1 through 11... And if you are showing love in the Christian community, verses 12 to 17, and if that love is rejected and hated without cause because of Jesus' name, verses 18 to the end of the chapter, then you can talk about persecution. If you are not abiding in Christ, if you are not walking a life of love in the Christian community, And if you are giving people cause to hate you because you are judgmental or harsh or arrogant or combative, that's not persecution. That's disobeying the commands of Scripture to let your speech be gracious, to make your defense with gentleness and respect. Uh, And please don't cry persecution when you're just getting sort of the fruits of being dumb uh, and not obeying the commands of Scripture. Uh, Okay, so let's ask a couple of questions about this passage. According to Jesus, why would the world hate his disciples? Uh, And Jesus says, well, it's primarily because the world hates me. And Jesus gives us this principle, a servant is not above his master, which just pushes the question back, okay, why does the world hate Jesus? And here I think it's important to tie this back to the branches and vine metaphor. That Jesus is the true vine, which we said two weeks ago means that nothing else can offer real life, nothing else can offer real satisfaction, nothing else can offer real meaning. And that's offensive because we all want to plant our own vine. We want to create and find our own source of life and sustenance and meaning and satisfaction. So that self-denial and dependence, which is abiding in the vine, come into conflict with self-assertion and independence, which is creating our own vine. And there is a clash between two irreconcilable value systems. The operating principle of the world is achievement. The operating principle of faith is dependence and surrender. 
And that is why the world hates Jesus, a person completely surrendered to God's will and sent him to a cross. Uh, So you can be the most gracious, loving, gentle person in the world, and yet if you are abiding in the true vine, you are making a statement about the world. That what it offers won't in the end give you real life. And Jesus says when the world reacts to that, don't take it personally. It has nothing to do with you. It's on account of me because I am the true vine. And you can't fix it by being more hip or relevant or cool or beautiful or lovely or whatever. Uh, On some level, you can't even explain it. Because Jesus, quoting the Psalms, talks about how he was hated without cause. And you can't explain the cause of why someone is hated without cause. There isn't one. Jesus was not hated because he was arrogant. He humbled himself in the incarnation. He was not hated because he was mean. He healed the broken and the outcasts. He was not hated because he was selfish. He gave himself as an offering for sin. Jesus fully reveals the love of God. He came to turn enemies into friends and restore a broken world. And yet people hated him. And Jesus says that's what exposes their guilt. He he actually makes a couple of comments that almost make it sound like he's saying he caused the guilt. Because his coming reveals it. Nothing can rationally explain that hatred towards him, which Jesus then says will spill out over into his followers. Okay, so another question then. What does Jesus give us in the face of that hatred? Uh, And he gives us the assurance that we are not alone in the world unaided. He gives us the advocate who is witnessing in and through our witnessing. And you see that in verses 26 and 27 of our text. But when the Helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. Uh, So uh, God is going to use the hard thing of hatred and persecution as the way to witness to his love. So note the order, by the way, uh, in these verses. Uh, When the Helper comes, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness about me. So the Spirit's witness is primary. Our witness is secondary. The Spirit's witness is first. Our witness is uh, second. Knowing Jesus as Lord is never the end of a logical argument or a gospel presentation. It is always and only ever a miracle of God's grace wrought by the Spirit. Uh, And I think we get here in the end of John 15, uh, really kind of a clear statement about the work of the Holy Spirit. And we'll get more into this next week uh, as as Jesus continues to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but the work of the Holy Spirit is not to give us warm fuzzies. Uh, The job of the Holy Spirit is not to guide us in all of our mundane decisions, you you know, Apple, Android, Costco, Walmart, 
Um, the work of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to Jesus. Uh, and we need that work because if the Holy Spirit is not witnessing before and beside us, it doesn't matter how wonderful or even flawless our witness is. Uh, and so the task of the persecuted is to bear witness in the power of the Spirit and the promise of persecution is that the Spirit will be present because Jesus is sending a helper. And that's why this whole section on the Spirit is present. We witness to Jesus' love as we move out toward others in love by the power of the Spirit. Okay, last question. Uh, what are the dangers in all of this that Jesus talks about? And I think that there are two dangers. And the first one is the danger of human religious zeal. Uh, the, John has been talking about the hatred of the world. So remember, the world in John uh, uh, refers to those who are alienated from God, people who are in rebellion against God. Uh, but the world that John is talking about here is not secular people. It's religious people. That's who John is talking about. It often, uh, the persecution and the hatred comes often from people who think that they are serving God. And you see that in chapter 16, verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. It's violence done in God's name. And uh, maybe you know the Blaise Pascal quote, Men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. So religion is often a robe that people put on to scapegoat other people and then in the name of God to do things that make God weep. Uh, and uh, if you know the history of the church, then you know the roles of persecuted and persecutor are not set in stone. Uh, and that the church has been in both places from time to time. Uh, so Jesus warns about the danger of human religious zeal. And then he also warns of the danger of falling away. Chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Uh, that you would shrink back from following him. Uh, and... This is Jesus' main concern. He says in verse 4, he's saying these things to remind us not to be surprised by hardship. Uh, that we should resolve to persevere and remain faithful. Uh, we always have to, in the life of faith, be prepared for hard things, for sorrowful things, for trials, uh, to be vigilant and ready for the tough things. Uh, so note, though, Jesus talked about the danger of human religious zeal. He talked about the danger of falling away. Uh, Jesus never says that the danger of persecution is that you might get hurt or that you might die. The danger is never what the world will do to you. The danger is never what the world might become. The danger is what will happen in your heart. 
Uh, and so fearing people and culture or hating people and culture, those things are out of touch with God holding both the world and our eternal lives in his hands. It's just out of touch for gospel people. Uh, so let me just end with this. What, what is the key difference then between a persecution complex and persecution confidence? Uh, and I, I think that we could, we could say it this way. Uh, does it keep you from loving the world? Does persecution keep you from loving your enemies? Does hatred keep you from bearing witness by that love that Jesus has come into the world? If it keeps you from loving other people, you probably have a persecution complex. If you can lean in and say, this is the witness that God wants me to have in this situation, you have persecution confidence. Uh, And Jesus is saying, look guys, this is the way it's going to be. This is the context that you will experience abundant life in the vine. Uh, There are times when my followers will experience the deep-seated hatred uh, that is lodged against me. But you know what? Uh, If we become obsessed with that, uh, or if we become obsessed with other things like controlling culture, controlling the government, whatever, there's not much room left for focusing on Christ. Uh, But if we remember that nothing is happening outside of God's plan and outside of his purpose and outside of his care, then we can be witnesses to his love and we can find joy in the teaching that a servant is not above his master. Amen? All right, let's pray together.